Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and let us affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope, that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to once again be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil in sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed, as before, all of the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fear, depression, destruction, ignorance, selfishness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation. And so stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your holy countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Allow us to find your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you and may be seated. Тебе благодарение 
The Revelation of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says though he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have preserved and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else, again, um, we are referring to the fact that this church is um, it has fallen. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, or he who repents, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see, as we had said um, two days ago, God does not reject a person when he sins. He rejects him when a person rejects correction for sin. In this case, the church had fallen. God closed it. He wants to restore it. And if it does not accept this correction, then it is going to be destroyed. So what is the meaning of this first love? This first love is comprised of the fact that communication or fellowship with God in relation to ministry to God, it says, you had carried a lot in your works. He, they're all your works that were listed. However, all of these works are service to God. But communication with God must be primary, whereas ministry to God is secondary. This was what it meant to leave your first love. 
the transferring or the exchange of priorities. It is this thought that is accented in this text. Therefore, despite the efforts, although which God valued, however, if communication to God on the pedestal of priorities is not placed higher than worship to God, then our lampstand will be moved, which means that we are going to be deprived of our dignity in God. And therefore, we will be deprived of eternal life that is expressed in the fruit of the tree of life. Therefore, to leave first love means to change priorities or and to act toward what is primary or secondary and to act toward what is secondary as primary. Everything must seem everything seems in the same place, the same works. However, the priority now is God wants us to have to prioritize communication. He is served by many angels, and I has, as I oftentimes bring this example, imagine a rich person who has servants in his home, who has a wife. And if this servant begins to fill the role of a wife, or the wife the role of a servant, how will the husband look at this? Because all that the wife does can be done by the servants as well. The servants... All that the wife does, they can't do. Therefore, worship to God when we try to please Him with our service. We will never please Him. We will please Him only through our communication with Him. When we, in this ministry, search for communication with Him. And therefore, in Scripture, the word first, in relation to God, refers to first and foremost first fruits, which are hallowed unto God and belong to God. So this is what this first love is comprised of. This is God's hallow. It is the fulfillment of this ancient commandment established by God in the Garden of Eden, the dignity of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that yielded what is hallowed unto the Lord and had shown the, the relation of a person to God. The first love is the fulfillment of this commandment. And this gave a person the right to communicate with God in the coolness of the day. And as soon as this commandment was violated, a person was cast out from the Garden of Eden, which was the place for communication with God, so that with a sweat of his hands he can till the ground so that he dies in the ashes and the dust. That's what he says in Malachi chapter 3 verses 7 through 12. Yeah, from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that they may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Says the Lord of hosts, And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. 
According to these words, the tithes that belong to God is the food of God. And if we, in the offering to God of tithes, search for His countenance or His face, and we allow to God, we allow God to care for our um, material needs, He will pour out His windows and pour out His blessing to us abundantly. And we will note that the blessing being poured out differs from the blessing that comes from the earth, from the depth which lies below. The blessing that comes from heavens restore communication with God that was that was um, broken in Eden, which means that the atmosphere of the coolness of day returns to the heart of a person when he begins to show his first love toward God in the offering of tithes voluntarily, searching not for blessings, but searching for communication with God for his countenance. And when he does this, and the blessing that comes from the earth, which is an image of our earthly essence demonstrates demonstrates protection from illness and premature death. Therefore, our correct direction in honoring to God of tithes and offerings in which a person demonstrates his love to God is we, offer, we show to God our first love and we give God the basis to restore the broken relationship with Him. Today, relationships with God are broken throughout many churches. Very few small churches throughout the planet Earth have this communication, thanks to the fact that for them, ministry to God is secondary, and we're in communication with God is primary. They search for God, and for them, their riches is the revelation of the Word of God. And the material prosperity that they strive to, they truly want to honor God with tithes. But this is not honoring God of tithes when a person tries to take something. This is danger. When a person offering God tithes and offering searches for material prosperity, this is a curse. Would we, instead of offering God our first love, would we search for His countenance? That He is important to us, not His blessing then he begins to bless us. And first and foremost, he restores his communication. As soon as communication is restored, then a person finds himself in a different atmosphere. Then God has the basis to grow him, to draw him near, and to prepare for him the crown of righteousness. We will honor God with tithes and offerings, worship him because our worship without correct honoring of tithes and offerings will not be worship and it is specifically the honor of god of tithes and offerings that gives us the right to enter the courts of the lord and we will sing together let us stand this is our privilege our opportunity at the beginning of service before we hear the word of god which will be a revelation from which revelations will flow on, the, on what conditions we worship Him, on what conditions we search for His countenance and that which we give Him, our tithes as what is hallowed, joyfully searching for His revelation and for His countenance. And so each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings in the Temple of Solomon, or in the tabernacle 
of Moses, he was called to raise their hands over their offerings and proclaim one unique proclamation that Moses had received from God as a revelation. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the same olive tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give you in pearly. I did not give in sorrow. And I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Тебя, Спаситель, я люблю. Очень наш ты жизнь на небесах, Дай нам жизнь и хлеб. Тебя прошу в совершенстве Твою волю научи исполнять, Ведь Тебя, Спаситель, я люблю. В тени крыл Твой, Господь, укрой мой дом, Чтобы верны быть Тебе всегда во всем. От лукавого и от его сетей Защити во всей дни жизни ты моей Научи прощать врагов, как ты учил Чтобы светом быть всегда на всей земле Господи, помилуй нас, твоих детей И пошли на мир твой и покой Научи прощать врагов, как ты учил чтобы светом быть всегда на всей земле. Господи, помилуй нас, Твоих детей, И пошли на мир Твой и покой. Жизнь и хлеб, тебя прошу, в 
совершенстве Твою волю научи исполнять, Ведь Тебя, Спаситель, я люблю. Очень наш Ты жизнь на небесах, Дай нам жизни хлеб, Тебя прошу. В совершенстве Твою волю научи исполнять, Ведь Тебя, Спаситель, я люблю. Ведь тебя, Спаситель, я люблю, Ведь тебя, Спаситель, я люблю. Бога хвоня, да успокоишься на времена вечного Бога хвоня, да успокоишься на времена вечного Бога хвоня. 
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain depth of the unsearchable and unknown. And this is Matthew 5, 45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. To be or have the perfection that the Heavenly Father has, to shine with your sun upon the evil and good and send your rain upon the just and on the unjust. And we know in accordance to Scripture, the sun shines upon the righteous and burns the unclean. The water that pours down the rains, they give the righteous blessing and the unclean are, are drowned. God takes his clouds full of water and sends them to the earth and they pour down for the blessing and the cursing of others. God does not intend to bless the sinner and the lawless. He blesses with his son and rain only the righteous and loves only the righteous. He does not listen to the prayers of sinners and hates the sinner and the lawless one. And the fact that people have been deceived that God loves the sinner is not true. God hates the sinner and God hates sin. When a sinner begins to hate sin but is in sin but hates the sin and suffers from it, then God does not call this person a sinner. He calls him a slave of sin. There's a difference between a sinner and a slave of sin. A sinner is one that drinks sin as cold water, thirsts for it, that takes sin and says that this is not sin, that legalizes sin. This, these kinds of sinners God hates. The slaves of sin that actually are bound by sin, Inside, they want purity, and all these people that desire purity and are in dependence and want to get out, you will be brought out. God doesn't call you a sinner because you hate sin, and he will lead you out. And so linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebecca to Isaac and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebecca presented these signs in the virtues of the Lily of the Valleys, upon which we are called to look with the eyes of our heart or with the eyes of faith, look at the lily in, lilies of the fields. The process of resurrection that flows, the process of life that flows through this lily, what we look upon, we are transformed into that. We begin to transform and we become what we look at. When Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then death entered into her. She transformed into this death and she passed it on to Adam and today we genetically have inherited this death, this resistance and this curiosity to come to blessing, not seeking the blesser but just receive blessing itself.
And we, we know what Rebecca needed to do in order to follow after Isaac. For this purpose, Rebecca left her nation, her house, and her former life, so she may go to her groom Isaac by following Eleazar, the overseer of the house of Abraham. Eleazar is presented in scripture is presented in scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that had come down upon the disciples of the Lord in the day of the celebration of the Pentecost to bring the small flock into perfection into Christ Jesus. And his name means God is help. This is the function of the Holy Spirit. We note that our, in our situation, celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost is receiving the Holy Spirit into our heart. And so this is not a specific span of time, but the condition of our heart. We receive the Holy Spirit not as a greatly honored guest, but as the Lord of our life, which will allow us to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit upon the conditions that are written in Scripture, so we can be led by the Holy Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Romans 8.14. People that are not led by the Spirit of God, they lose their sonhood. It is not possible to be led by the Spirit of God if you receive Him as a guest. Whatever you may do, you may speak in tongues, but you received Him as a guest. I've talked about this a lot. The church that I grew up in, my, my previous church, any, uh, we always invited the Holy Spirit at any uh, celebration or any, any, any situation or reason we would call and invite Him as a guest. And so he comes, people leave, and they don't even uh, pay attention to the fact that he's still there. If he, if he came with them and left with them, then he does not need to be invited. But if he's invited, you don't, you, 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 if he's with you, you only invite once, but they continuously invite him as a guest. And when I ask the question, they looked at me with wide eyes, and one brother uh, showed me as if I'm crazy. But I always had the question, why is it uh, that you were inviting him as a guest? I don't want him to be just as a guest. I want him to be the master of my life. I was a child and I prayed, Lord, I didn't know the scriptures, but I wanted him to be a Lord of my life, not a guest, but the master of my house. And so we note that specifically during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the unique and destiny-affecting ability to either receive the Holy Spirit in the form of the Lord of our life, to then receive from Him and in Him strength, to perform a complete and total separation from our nation, from our house, and from our corrupt desires. Bethuel, Laban, they received the gifts of the Holy Spirit and received the Holy Spirit as a guest. But they did not separate themselves from their nation, their house, and their own desires. Rebecca did this. She left her nation, her house, and her desires. And she followed after Eleazar to Isaac. And so when we separate with our desires, why? To then in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit bear to God fruits of righteousness, that is lead a godly life that carries the power of the resurrection of Christ. If he will be a guest, we will never be able to bear fruits of righteousness. 
And so in the moment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the opportunity to receive him either as the Lord or receive the Holy Spirit as the, in the form of a dear guest and continue to remain in the dependence of our nation, our house, and our corrupt desires. Oftentimes, these uh, corrupt desires are dressed into garments of religiousness uh, and other things prayers of some sort and other things but God knows what is under these garments a person not taught how to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of his life will never be able to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and understandably will not be able to be led by the Holy Spirit <coughs> or to follow after him to perfection and in result this person will lose his sonhood his salvation we've noted more than once that in accordance to scripture a person can speak in tongues and not have insufficiency in any gift but at the same time remain a person of the flesh not having the spirit and will resist all that comes from the Spirit of God. I couldn't speak to you as people that are spiritual, but people that were children, spiritual children in Christ. Apostle Jude writes, 118-21, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last times. And these are people that are in the church. This is not talking about the world. In order to mock something, you need to understand and know something. They, from the side, the world looks from the side, from the side, looks at the uh, at religion and how they fight with each other, have how come out on a motorcycle and the others sit as almost dead, and they look at these two uh, angles, these two sides, and they don't understand what it is, what is the right way and what is the wrong way, and they don't understand, and the one and the other they don't like. There's something wrong. There's no tr true light on either side. And so Jude wrote, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. They say, I have my own head, I have my own Bible, I myself know what I'm doing. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Therefore, speaking in tongues and practicing spiritual gifts is a spiritual experience, but it does not call... It is not called to make us spiritual and to change our character into the character of Christ, the character we inherited from our fathers. Therefore, to change our character into the character of Christ, we are given the truth of the cross of Christ, contained <coughs> in the teaching of Jesus Christ, that is called to separate us from our nation, our house, and our fleshly desires. Without the collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ, all of our religious work, that is, our good deeds and our so-called evangelism, is identified in Scripture as lawless for which a person will be thrown out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In a particular format, we already looked at the essence and the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ, as well as based upon what principles is our cross called and able to collaborate with the cross of Christ. And stop to study the next question, by what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates, truly co collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit. I will remind us that when we studied the, def, uh, the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ, these are two completely different things. What Jesus lost on the cross, we obtained on the cross.
he lost his contact with his father, we actually are reconciled with the father. We, he lost all strength upon the cross. We, carrying our cross, we obtain strength because the teaching about the cross is strength, it's power. For him, it was a loss of all things. And so there's a difference between the cross of Christ and our personal cross. And that's why Jesus said, who does not carry his own cross, you don't need to take the cross of Christ. Jesus had his cross, we have ours. And this cross is called to separate us from our house, our nation, and our corrupt desires. And so when we looked at the signs that we truly have separated and that we collaborate with the cross of Christ, then we thoroughly have been studying these signs and fruits, and these signs are the fruits of resurrection and the fruits of the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times, giving its fruit each month, which is called also to be the kingdom of heaven within us or within our heart the order of it. The key that opens the path to the tree of life are the twelve pearly gates. And so what we talk about now, all these things, are things that happen within your heart and through your heart and in your heart. The key that opens the path again to the tree of life are the twelve pearly gates that reveal our abiding with Christ in his trials. If we don't have these 12 pearly gates, if we are not in accordance to these gates, the pearl is the result of the suffering of a mollusk. When something ends up in their little stone or something else, it begins to coat it with this pearl, the substance of pearl. And, and so this, uh, this foreign item that ends up within the mollusk is our old self, our old nature. We can't uh, cover, we can't, uh, we can't uh, just uh, take into control, but we need to take power from it. And when we take power from it, uh, or attempt to take power from it, we suffer, and inside you're always having this confrontation between the new person and the old person. <clears throat> the body is the temple in which these two people battle, but when when one is taken from power and the other comes to power, then the service of to God can begin. Then can you receive the kingdom of heaven in the in the seed of the preached word and grow the tree of life. Here's what Luke said, or Jesus said in the book of Luke 22, 28 through 30. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. To continue with him in his trials is becoming, becoming these pearly gates. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. <clears throat> Considering that the function of Christ that he, he delegated to his people, we see that the key that opens the path to the tree of life is abiding with God's delegated leaders in their trials. When trials will come upon the uh, and the attack will be against the truth, the first will be against the leader who carries the truth. That is the, where the attack will begin. And if you will remain faithful to, the, to God's teaching, 
as Jesus said, who is not with me is against me, then you will receive a key to the tree of life, to the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, which we see as the inheritance of eternal life, is presented in the Eden of our heart in the image of the tree of life that bears fruit twelve times, giving its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. The fact that nations will be healed, that means that it's not going to be on in heaven, but here on earth. To heal the nations is to be a light to the world. These are not gifts of healing. This is to be a light of the world. The true light of resurrection heals because people of the world cannot be healed. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not given to the world, but the church. To heal the world, you need light. The 12 months of the Holy Year, where the tree of life yields its fruit each month, are the fruits of resurrection or the fruits of righteousness that we have been studying in the feasts and the signs that happened within each month of the Holy Year. As it is written in Hebrews 10.1, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of things. We more than once note that the full definition of the kingdom of heaven, when speaking of the holy year containing in itself 12 months, defines the order of the kingdom of heaven and not a specific span of time. Therefore, the holy year where the tree of life bears fruit in each of the 12 months is in no way dependent on the three aspects of time, that is the present, past, and future of the regular year that has 12 months. In Hebrew, the meaning of the word year contains within itself the greatness of the redemption of God stretching out over all eternity. Therefore, the holy year, which includes 12 holy months, needs to be looked at in the aspect of the spirit, which is a fourth kind of time, eternity. In Hebrew, year means the greatness of God, the kingdom of light, eternity eternity, the fullness of time, the perfection of the Heavenly Father, the eternal day, coming to power, allowing to enter by confirmation of identity, to be brought into the tabernacle as holiness. Looking at the multiple meanings, we can see that these definitions complete one the other and are in complete agreement and harmony with each other. Now, when you add new to the word year, we receive these kinds of unique meanings that capture the entire essence of the new person in Christ Jesus. The new year is new time, a new month, a new day, new person, new birth, new name, new garments, new house, new covenant, new dough, new bread, new wineskins, new wine, new path, new fields, new song, and so forth. If we look at the word new as it applies to God and his chosen person, then we will get these meanings. New is eternal, holy, imperishable, unwilting, identifying or identical with God, pure, virgin, sincere, righteous, faithful, constant, unchanging, immovable, strong or hard, reigning over time. Because of such a consistency of definitions, the symbol of the Holy Year demonstrating the kingdom of heaven in time does not depend from actual time and supersedes time. In a particular format, we together have already looked at the fruit of our spirit presented in the symbol of the fruits of the tree of life that were brought within the first new three months of the Holy Year and have been studying the fruits of the fourth month, the, the fruits of our spirit in the fourth month. This fourth month is Tammuz. 
which we are, where, in which we are called to bring to God as a symbol of perfection that we need to show. In Israel, in the 17th day of the fourth month of Tammuz, the people fast in the memory of the two broken tablets of Moses. That these were the work of God's hands. These two tablets God carved and wrote upon them. Moses broke these two tablets. When he came to the Israelite people, he saw that they were celebrating before the idol that they had built, and he broke these two tablets there. In Israel, the days of the fast were considered the days of the demonstration of sorrow, where a person hungered his body, and in the time of prayer spread out under himself sackcloth and ashes to show God his sorrow and the humility of his soul. 1 Kings 21, 27-29 when the prophet Elijah told Ahab, King Ahab, the verdict of God against him, when he heard these things, so it was when Ahab heard these things that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. And that's how Ahab fasted that, but when the sinners and the Pharisees fasted, they outside they put the sackcloth as well, but their heart was not humbled before the Lord. By prophet Isaiah, however, God shows that the outer appearance of a fast does not always correspond to the inner state of the person, and such a disbalance between the uh, inner position and, uh, and the difference between the inner position and the outer displeased God. Here's what God says through prophet Isaiah 58.5. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? It is a bow, bow down and his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Would you call this a fast, an acceptable one to the Lord? And so pretty much he, if you read uh, on, he talks about how they offend each other and they uh, demand things from each other. And, and he says, what kind of fast is this? Is this an acceptable one to God? A person has bitterness in his heart. Somebody has sin. However, God, by the means of activating the law of his grace, intended on changing in root the consistency and atmosphere of the fast from sorrow to gladness and cheer. Zechariah 8, 18, 19. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth. And so the fourth month is where the tablets were broken, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. This very prophetic truth for those who fast was given by Jesus, which he made a law and instruction to his disciples and their followers. Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting but to your Father which is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
So to check whether the breaking of the two tablets of the covenant happened specifically in the 17th day of the fourth month, it is enough to count back 40 days from the 17th day of the, of the fourth month when Moses was on the mountain that as we see will put us at the seventh day of the third month and so counting back 40 days again from the 17th day of the fourth month will be the third day of the seventh month this was the day of the new moon when Moses went up on Mount Sinai in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day of the new moon they came to the wilderness of Sinai for they had departed from Rephidah Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell to the children of Israel you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself Exodus 19 1 through 4 we know that the new moon of the third month is a symbol of birth of the new person created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth. The new moon is a symbol of the bride of the Lamb. Fortieth days within which time God wrote the Ten Commandments of His covenant with the nation of Israel is a symbol of the state of spiritual childhood. Forty days is a symbol of the state of spiritual childhood. The tablets themselves are not but the 40 days symbolize the 40 the tablets themselves are the son Jesus is the son Jesus Christ the 40 days within which time God wrote the Ten Commandments is a spirit, state of spiritual childhood. The breaking of the two tablets of the covenant was the mark of exiting the position of spiritual childhood and entering spiritual maturity. In accordance with the law, only after the days of purification were finished, on the 40th day was a male child able to be presented before the Lord, to be dedicated to God. In the same way, they uh, they behaved with Jesus in accordance with the law. When the 40th, 40 days of purification, or the perfect days of purification were uh, finished, it says, now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Luke 2, 22 through 23. In Scripture, a symbol of purification is a symbol of justification that a person is able to receive freely by grace in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In this fourth month, those who lived on elevations approached the harvest of the wheat, and the first grapes would begin to mature. This was the start of the summer heat. We see that each feast was accompanied with some sort of harvest, or more accurately was the harvest of some kind of sowing. The and so every, again, is the symbol of the fruits of the Spirit, every feast. And in this situation, when the breaking of the tablets of the covenant happened, we see the fruits of the Spirit. The symbolic 40th day in which the days of purification were completed that were marked by the breaking of the two tablets of the covenant symbolized the destruction or elimination by the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Colossians 2:11 through 15. In him, you, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision 
of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were all you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you bring, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made a life together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. Colossians 2, 11 through 15. If a man will not bear fruit of the new fourth month that is revealed in the two broken tablets of the covenant, so that he can have evidence of the fact that he in Jesus Christ, by the law of Moses, died for the law of Moses, so he can live for God and live by God, then he will forever lose his salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee. Galatians 2.19.20 About the breaking of the two tablets. For I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, and these two broken tablets, crucifixion with Christ happens. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In these two broken tablets of the covenant, we see the result that comes from the confrontation of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. One law gives power to sin. This is the law of Moses, the power of, of sin is the law. And the other law, taking power from this sin, this is the law of grace. Not accounting their sins against him, he gave us the words of reconciliation. Both laws by themselves are godly and together present the holy, eternal, and unchanging in its essence nature of God, as well as his holy, good, and unchanging goals. Therefore, before we die by the law, for the very same law that gives power to sin, so we can live for God, it is necessary for a person to be born from the seed of the word of truth, as it is written, James 1.18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures the word first fruits means that we will be the uh, ruling over his creation to be the head or to be able to rule over his creation and so it's not really a completely accurate translation of the original where it says first fruits, but that's to be the head or governors of his creation. Only born from the seed of the word of truth can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law, by the law, to live for God through crucifixion with Christ. We note that we need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth in the seed of the word of truth from the other form of justification that we are called to receive in the as fruit and as a seal confirming the previously received justification. Therefore, there is a big difference existing between the seed of justification by the means of which we are born from God and between the fruits of the seed where our justification bears fruits of righteousness and we receive the seal of righteousness regarding the bearing of fruits of the fourth new month with the tree of life which demonstrates the kingdom of heaven coming in power within our heart identified in the two broken tablets of the covenant confirming our justification in which we are called to bear fruits of righteousness it's been necessary for us to look at four classical questions and these are what is the natural essence or root of righteousness, from what wellspring does righteousness come, and what is justification? 
Also, what characteristics do the scripture give the word righteousness, justification, and righteous? These are sacral words, righteous, justification, and righteous. What purpose is justification supposed to fulfill? Or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself? What conditions or requirements are we supposed to fulfill to receive justification and be dressed into righteousness? By what results are we able to judge that we possess within our spirit the tree of life that bears the fruits of the fourth month, that is the fruits of righteousness? We note that the etymology of the words righteousness the transcendent words righteousness, justification, and righteous contain a sufficiently rich in multiple meaning semantics. As these words are a, revel are a revelation of who God is for us and what God has done for us and what we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us. And so right in Hebrew, righteousness, when it in regards to God, righteousness is holiness, the law, covenant, justification. Righteousness is lawfulness, fairness, commandment, statute, and regulation. The righteousness of God is judgment, justice, and God's fairness. The righteousness of God is God's directness, faithfulness, and truthfulness. The righteousness of God is God's constance, continuation, and immutability. The righteousness of God is truthfulness, truth, wisdom, and the light of life. The righteousness of God is honesty, sincerity, and purity. The righteousness of God is the resurrection of life, and the righteousness of God is the liberty of Christ. Justification that we receive through this righteousness, when we hear his righteousness, we receive justification. This is eternal redemption, purchased from bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not in putting of sin. We are not being, the, the, the sin is not being inputted to us, taken into the personal belonging and lot of God, adoption, and being resurrected from the dead. Now the word righteous, when we have received justification, we become righteous. If we will not become righteous after justification, then we did not receive justification. Then we have been deceived. We have been offered the wrong, tru the wrong truth. Because if we receive justification, you will receive righteousness and you will be then holy, acceptable. Go and ask the Protestant churches, brothers and sisters, are you holy? When I just came to America and I was greeted with one brother, he was uh, telling me there's a church and brothers are gathering today, let us go. And so while we were going there, we were talking, and I asked him, are you holy? He said, are you kidding? I said, so you're not? He's like, no, I'm only striving to be holy. How is it imagined there's a serpent that bears uh, that that has eggs or a chicken has eggs can a uh, can a snake have chicken eggs no well you need to first be righteous to do righteousness God is holy yes he's holy is he righteous yes he's righteous are you born from God? Yes. Can God bear someone not righteous or not holy? God bears only the righteous and holy. In what way have you... Are you not righteous or holy? Being born from God, are you not righteous or holy? He, he was so excited. He's like, let us tell the brothers. 
And I said, oh, be careful. He says, he, we come there, we, we come to the brothers, and he says, brothers, all of them uh, were behaving very uh, prestige or, or very important. And the, the brother that I was speaking with said, brothers, uh, he told them that what we were talking about, and, he, and they said, well, this is too, too prideful. We are only striving to be holy. This is too prideful to think these things. And he was looking at me, wanting me to add to the conversation, and I'm just being quiet. When we came out, he said, why didn't you help me? And I said, God did not send me to tell them they're not ready to hear the truth. They would not have listened. It, do you think if they're not listening to you, they won't listen to me either? To be able to reveal this truth, there there needs to be a need to hear it. You gladly came and told them, and they just pushed it out. And unfortunately, he remained with these brothers, and in that he did not uh, decide to grow. And so righteous, holy, acceptable, and guiltless. This is talking about the inner person. This is our, not talking about our old self or nature. We may fall, but we remain righteous even if we're falling. The sinner falls one time. The righteous can fall many times. But he's battling with sin. As I said in the beginning, if a sinner... A sinner is a person that legalizes sin, but drinking is not sin, uh, gay, gays and lesbians or ha these actions are not sinful, and so forth. They legalize all kinds of things like this, then of course God hates such. But when a person falls and wants to get out of it, and God gives him righteousness, he received it and he falls again, he just needs to repent. My children, I tell you not to sin. First John, my children, I, I, I ask you not to sin, but if you do, we have Jesus Christ, one who died for our sins and the sins of the world. We need to come, confess our sins, and renew our justification. And so righteous is holy, acceptable, guiltless, upright, honest, fair, free from the oath, not bounded by sin, dead to sin, living for righteousness, being in a covenant with God, relying and trusting in God, pleasant, finding the favor of God, honoring God with your tithes and offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ. Righteousness is we what we already do. We be are righteous, but righteous is who we are, and righteousness is now what we're expressing. Is hope and trust in God, faith that God is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him, peace with God based upon a covenant with God, sanctification of your dedication watching after the justice of God, expressing holiness and performing justice, expressing upright joy, remaining in your church, offering to God a sacrifice of praise, not leaving your church as some have done. As it says, offering to God a sacrifice of praise, honoring God with tithes and offerings, revealing virtue in your faith and faith and knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. And so the seven. Looking at this truth to be told multifaceted, multi-meaning, and multifunctional statement, 
In defining righteousness and justification, we've made a note that the scriptures consider all of these terms in regards to man legitimate and lawful exclusively within the format and boundaries of the service of justification and not condemnation as justification belongs to the new covenant. The service of justification is based on and established upon the law of grace that is contrary to the service of condemnation, which we see in the law of Moses. And if the, in the service of condemnation, the format of the law of Moses that was carved upon the stone tablets and was written by God was given to the sinful and lawless man, which meant giving power to sin and being condemned to death, then following the breaking of the two tablets where a person received justification, in the new tablets of the covenant that were carved not by God but by man Moses already carved these the fact that Moses carved them when a person carves them you carve them upon the your heart the second uh, tablets were the symbol of your heart where symbolize revealing of righteousness in the heart of a man where a person is able to perform the justice of God in accordance to the written statutes. Considering this form of justification that a man received in the two broken tablets of the covenant, the symbol of the new tablets that were carved and written by man upon the tablets of his heart was unable to condemn the righteous one man and actually gave the justified man power to be a minister of the new covenant 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11 who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance which glory was passing away how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. 2 Corinthians 3, 6-11 According to the given place of Scripture, we see that the righteousness of God revealed within the boundaries of grace rose from the two broken tablets of the covenant and in the new tablets in the new heart of a man became the law of the spirit of life and the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. The righteous man became, according to Scripture, a God-fearing man, one who honors the law of grace, who lives by the law of grace, and one who does not sin against the law of grace. That is, he does not peddle or damage the truth within his heart. Considering that righteousness identifies and finds itself in holy truth, it is necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and which of the two terms grows from the root. So what is first and what is second? And so first, of course, is the truth. God bore us by his word of truth. And now truth begins uh, to bear fruits of righteousness. Based upon the definition in Scripture, righteousness comes from the united root of two terms, holiness and truth. At the same time, the unity of holiness and truth reveals itself in righteousness. And so holy truth is the determination of the state of the human heart. At the same time, holy righteousness is the expression of the state that is contained in holy truth.
Therefore, as we've concluded, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the spring of its genesis, that is, the root of holy truth or the holy word of truth that is written in Scripture. The righteousness of God is, first of all, the judgment or justice of God, which defines good and evil and separates good from, from evil. We, in this particular format, in part have already looked at specific characteristics of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. The judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the two broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the word of God that by its eternal nature is the holy wellspring, holy root, and holy foundation for the judgment of all righteousness. Psalm 119.160, the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. When talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God, this is the first most truth. We need to always keep in mind that this is always a holy truth. And it's firstly always a holy truth that identifies the inner essence of the entrails of God. Because God by his eternal, unchanging and immeasurable natural essence is firstly everlastingly holy. Due to this, the righteousness of God is firstly always a holy righteousness, as well as an eternal, unchanging, and unconditional righteousness. The word holy first belongs to God and only after to, to those who are born from Him. In essence, God, who by His eternal and unchanging nature is holy, is eternally separated from evil and is n has no part of any found evil. Further, the love of God is firstly a holy love and therefore a selective love. When you're talking about God loves everyone, then you mean that God's the whole, uh, love is not holy. If it's holy, then it has boundaries. It separates light and darkness. Therefore, God a priori is not able to love that which in its beginnings is not holy. His holy love is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. He loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis and in its beginnings and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis and its beginnings. Psalm 45.7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. This is also in Hebrews. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Righteousness and lawlessness are two battling with each other programs that out of a programmable system are nothing and cannot function. Out of a person or an angel are not able to function or reveal themselves. And so again, out of a programmable system, a person or an angel are not able to be revealed. God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels, and from the beginning hated the profane to him lawlessness in man and angels, together with those men and those angels. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that, that did not keep their position, and men also who did not accept the love of truth and defiled the temple of their spirit by leaving their church, are vessels of his sun-scorching and powerful wrath. 
At the same time, carriers of his holy righteousness, keeping themselves from getting in contact with the lawless and carriers of lawlessness, are vessels of his mercy. As it is written, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us, us whom he called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Romans 9:22 through 24. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed, and the measure of our faith, we already looked at the personified essence of the righteousness of God that is in the Heavenly Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit, as well as the holy people in the format of their justification, and stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. What goals does the righteousness of God have within the heart of our man? What goals does it pursue? The next purpose of righteousness in the heart of a man received by him in the two broken tablets of the covenant and confirmed in the new tablets of the covenant tablets of his new heart is called to establish the reign of the name of Jesus Christ in your heart so that God in Christ could call us in his righteousness, hold us by his hand our hand and keep us to place us into Christ as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out those from the prisons and those who sit in darkness from the prison houses. These are the leaves for the healing of the nations, to be a light, to lead these people out. Isaiah 42, 5 through 8, Thus says, the, says God the Lord, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretches them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from, from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold you. You know, there is a teaching that say that God is only one. And so husband and wife are one flesh as one, or David overcame uh, ten thousands and Saul thousands, as it says. Uh, but you have to remember that others were present in those processes. And so when it says there's one God, that does there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they are one. They're three but one. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. It's talking about God. God calls and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. It's talking about the Son of God, naturally. The Father is speaking about His Son. I am the Lord, I call you. We need to immediately note that in this situation we are greeted with the personified righteousness of God that is in Jesus Christ whose purpose in the two broken tablets identifying his death are two nations. The nation of Israel to make a covenant with them. He, I have called you to make a covenant with my nation. He's called his son to make a covenant with them and the nation of the Gentiles <coughs> so that by the means of this very co covenant with Israel to be a light for them. Therefore, when it's talking about those born blind, 
Then it's talking about prisoners of sin that are under the guard of the law of Moses from one nation as well as the other nation. By the method of destroying their guilt before God in the broken tablets of the covenant, give them justification in the new tablets of the covenant and in this way lead them, lead the one and the other out of imprisonment from the religious darkness of ignorance and hopelessness. Since there is one God who will justify the, circumc justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, Romans 3.30. And for this purpose, any person, regardless of their national belonging, Jews or Gentiles, if their sin is destroyed in the broken tablets of the covenant, is called by God in Christ Jesus into the righteousness of God presented in the new tablets of the covenant, which is the light of the resurrection of Christ. And in the light of the resurrection of Christ, which is the righteousness of God in the new tablets of the covenant, God has obligated to hold such a person in Jesus Christ by the hand and to keep him so that in Jesus Christ he can place him in the covenant for his nation and a light for directing the Gentiles. If a person who has accepted into his heart the justification of God in the symbol of the broken tablets of the covenant for any reason does not allow the Holy Spirit to call him into the righteousness of the resurrection of Christ to be dressed into resurrection, into the new person, to be dressed into the new person, in the new tablets of the covenant, to place him in the covenant for his nation and a light to direct the Gentiles, then the destruction of sin in the symbol of the broken tablets and justification that is received in the format of a guarantee in the new tablets of the covenant will lose their power and their purpose. When the received justification is lost, such a person will be spat out of the mouth of God or thrown out out of the boundaries of the word of God that comes out of the mouth of God to perish. Salt that loses its flavor that is contained in the holiness of the commandments of God is tossed out by God to be trampled underfoot by men. The light that is present in man in the form of the guarantee of justification, if this light does not move up into a level of quality of righteousness, and so if you remember there was a first light when God created the earth but it did not control or direct the, the earth or its day and its night. And so until a person in his, in his heart, there will be a sun, a moon, and stars will appear. That is the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. It will not move up into a level of quality of righteousness that this person will not be able to be a covenant for the people as a lit up candle in the house of God or a city on a hill to give direction to the Gentiles. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, You are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are a light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that is, your behavior in the church, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.13-16 The next purpose of righteousness within the heart of a man received by him in the two broken tablets of the covenant and established in the new tablets of his heart allows God to give, allows God to give us, just like to Abraham and his seed, the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the law through not by the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13, for the promise that he could, 
he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We're studying the righteousness of faith. It allows us to be heirs of peace. Practically, the inheritance of peace is the treasure of all of the components that identify the purpose of righteousness in the heart of a man that we have already studied together and of which there are many more to scri in Scripture. We could study the promise of peace uh, and it will never end. I've taken some of the meanings we can endlessly preach about this for years and we would not finish about the purpose of righteousness. But I wanted to finish on this today, on, on, on the subject today, so we can go to the inheritance or continue on the inheritance of peace. And so if we are unfamiliar or only in a little or are little familiar with the promise of being heirs of peace that we are to inherit through the righteousness of faith, then this means that we are still well ignorant about the goal regarding the purpose of the righteousness of the heart and that we have not yet turned to profit or invested our guarantee of salvation that we obtained in justification by faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we don't have any base or grounds to perform the righteousness of God performing is the key to inheriting the world, or peace. Specifically, by the means of the peace of God, we can and are called to guard your, our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. If with thanksgiving we open up our desires, then the peace of God will immediately receive the right to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If it isn't there, you can thank God, nothing will happen. Why is it in the time of prayer we do one or another thing and nothing's working because we don't have faith, the faith of God in our heart? And as we will see further, the promise of the inheritance of peace is personified in the Heavenly Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus called his peace upon the condition that we receive him in the status of the Lord of our life. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 26, 27. And to possess righteousness by faith, that is the condition for receiving the promise of peace, this peace being the Holy Spirit, receive him in the status of the Lord and Master of your life, we need to die for our nation, for our house, and for our corrupt desires, enveloped in religious ambitions. <clears throat> Only being in the status of the Lord and Master of your life, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit receives the ability to dress us into its power so that we can enter into the inheritance of peace, to bear fruits of righteousness that identify the right relationship with God. So to better understand the quality and nature of the peace of God, its purpose, its conditions, explaining how to dress into his peace, we need to answer four questions. <clears throat> what qualities does the peace of God have in Scripture? 
called to guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What power has the peace of God or does it possess in the relationship between God and man and man with God? What conditions are we to fulfill so we may be dressed into the peace of God <clears throat> called to guard our minds in God? By what signs are we able to tell in examining ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as sons of God? <clears throat> Blessed are the peacemakers for they <clears throat> shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5.9 If a person received justification from the imperishable seed of the word of truth but did not die for his nation, for its house, and for his corrupt desires, then his justification that he received in salvation by faith in Jesus Christ will never pass into a greater category of righteousness where he will be able to be bearing fruits of peace. And further, such people will lose their promise, giving them the right to be called the sons of God. In this situation, the phrase to be called the sons of God speaks of the reward that is contained in the virtue and quality of the name of the Son of God. The quality of the peace of God in the heart of a man testifies that this person is a peacemaker or the son of peace that gives God the ability to call or reward this person with the virtue of the name of the Son of God. Because the justification that a person received by the right of his birth from the seed of the word of truth has passed or changed into the greater quality of righteousness in which he became able to bear fruits of peace in his relationship with God and with those around him. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which there's no no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14 It's talking about such a form of peace that is able to be done or performed only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and be revealed in holiness. The boundaries are the commandments of God. Therefore the peace that we express out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness is lawless for which we will be required to pay the price of eternal life. In Hebrew, the word peace is one of the names and virtues of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Peace is the atmosphere of rule, identifying the kingdom of heaven. Peace is the rule of godly peace, peacefulness in God, and blissfulness in God. I'm saying that all of this is in the heart. Peace is well-being and friendship between God and His holy people. Peace is safety, help, security. This is all in your heart. Safety, help, security, wellness. You are safe. You don't continually have fear. Help, security, wellness, well-being, welfare, health, and friendship. Peace is the most ancient form of greeting that people used to greet kings and each other and blessed each other. Peace is a covenant, alliance, or union, agreement that is made with God, the act that foresees the responsibility of God as well as a man in fulfilling their roles. Peace is a relationship with God that is not interrupted or damaged by sin. Peace is the state and atmosphere of the heart of a person that is dedicated to God, that hopes upon God and abides in God. The peace of God is called to protect the quiet or peace within our heart and mind and belongs exclusively to the sons of peace. Peacemakers are sons of peace. Therefore, to perform God's peace and be its carrier 
and pass it on to others in your likeness is something that can be only be done by sons of peace. The absence of peace, tension, and anxiety that the existing world experiences today speaks of the quality of the mind that this world possesses, attempting by their politicians to obtain peace by the ways of confrontation and enmity veiled as diplomatic discussions or negotiations. This is how the uh, scriptures describe the attempts of the nation to reach peace without God controlled by religious conclaves. Isaiah 8, 9 through 13. Be shattered, O you people, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from, from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that the people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Therefore, people who call themselves saved, but do not acknowledge the order that is theocracy that is implemented by God and his kingdom, that on earth is the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of the Lamb, there are these are the same people that by the means of the rebellion perform not peace but division, and such people are not able to be called the sons of God and clearly are not the sons of peace. I will finish on this today as our time is up. The word that we receive from the Lord, we will bend our knees or our heads, however who's comfortable, and we will pray. If someone would like to be pulled out of prison from the nets of death or sin of deceit and lawlessness, false salvation, false justification. You today have this opportunity. You can come to the altar and we will pray for you. The Holy Spirit is in this place to deliver you from fear, dependence of sin, from fear of eternal death, and award you light, healing, liberty, and joy. Amen. Let us pray. I am going to be praying your prayer. And I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is for you. He is not against you. In this place, he desires right now to break your dependence for, with sickness, fear, and sin. He wants to renew your relationship with with him he wants to establish you in the justification he gave you in the moment when you were born from him he wants to continue to see you and call you righteous he wants you to perform righteousness he wants you to stand upon all fear and upon all deceit he wants you to pay the price to leave your nation your house and your corrupt desires he, that you open up your heart and that you receive him his Holy Spirit, not as a guest, but as a Lord of your life. And so pray together with me. Close your eyes. Lift your hands. A sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what He desires to give you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my pain, with my fear, with my sin, with my shame. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, remove my shame. 
justify me. I open up my heart. I accept your word. I accept your Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of my life. Enter in and be a Lord and Master of my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I would like to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May all of these blessings be upon you, the mountains and the valleys. May the Lord show His mercy upon you and upon your children. May you see this with your eyes and may you rejoice in your heart. May all this be upon you and be fulfilled upon you and your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. And now, all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.